It is a beautiful, sunny night, if very, very hot, in upstate New York, where I am located south of Rochester. And I'm here again uh, with Michael Martin, whose uh, life depends on the weather a little bit more than mine. Michael, tell me what's going on on the farm. <laughs> yeah, it does. But today wasn't too bad. Today was pretty nice. Everything's 84, uh, handleable. What is, your, what is your CSA putting out to the customers wet. right now? Pardon me? What is your CSA putting out to the customers right now? Uh, this week, we we finally had peas this week. Okay. Peas, well, other things are ending. Radishes are ending already. Uh, bok choice ending. Uh, we handed out some mustard this week. Uh, what else is going on? Up Good. Good. A lot of stuff. And this is kind of cool. So I just went out to give all the animals water because I don't want to do it when it gets late. And uh, I noticed that uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of catching a, I think I caught a swarm. Huh. Oh, really? So I had a trap out for, for bees. Yeah, yeah, I had a trap out. And it looks like somebody moved in. So you it's just see cool. activity at the lower part of the beehive kind of going in and out right now? Yeah, they're going in and out. I mean, I'll, I'll check after it gets dark. I'll go out, out there and knock on the side of the box and see if they're buzzing inside. Yeah. Sometimes you get false flags, but. Yeah. Well, we talked about beekeeping last week and I bought a hive, a good one, but I bought it and assembled it. It was laborious, but it was up on Sunday and I don't have nice. a great attractant yet, but I used a uh, lemongrass, a little oregano in there. And I, you know, waiting, uh, we're trying to draw a swarm and I I've got a, you know, an all natural chemical where somebody claims to have really juiced the stuff up. You know what I use, I use old comb. So I get some old, old brood comb from somebody stick, okay. stick a chunk of that in there. And, uh, the other, the miracle is, uh, 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 what is, what's it called? Sweetgrass essential oil or lemongrass. I'm sorry. Yeah, lemongrass lemon essential oil. oil. Yeah. They and didn't that, have it at my local store. So I got, it was lemon balm with a lot of lemongrass in there, but that's my yeah. hope. Well, good, good, good. I want to welcome to a guest. Um, we're moving today. Today, the subject's going to be astrology, astrology. And I, I invited uh, a friend of ours that Michael knows, Thomas Jude Germanario, TJ Germanario. And uh, it's a person uh, whose books I've been reading, I would say, since the invention of the Internet. But let me be more clear and say it's probably the first time I got on an Internet. It was at an office and they had money, but it was still dial up. And uh, <laughs> I, I had at that time in my life uh, been reading everything about the Marian apparition at La Salette, France. You know, Lourdes, Fatima, Knock, places like that are more famous. La Salette was through the writings of a guy, Leon Bloy, whose picture is behind me somewhere. I'd, I'd read everything in English about it, went there on my honeymoon with my wife. We were going to Europe. And uh, so, I don't know, it was the first search I did. It wasn't Google back then. It could have been, gosh, who knows? But I just put in La Salette. There wasn't much on La Salette. And then I, I get something and I'm reading some sentences about La Salette. And then you'd read a sentence about Melanie Calvat, one of the seers, and her brother, or no, I, you know, her, her pal as a shepherd, way up in the Alps in France, um, so high. And, and uh, then I read a sentence in the same article that involves quantum physics. And then I read lyrics from Bob Dylan. And then I read quotes from William Blake. And then I read, you know, uh, mythology handled with a historian's uh, expertise. And I wonder who the heck is this guy writing it? And I found it captivating. I eventually wrote to him and I thanked him for his work. It was published online and then later in book form. Uh, his, he had a daughter at that point who was at uh, Cornell University. And I don't live too far from there. We had loosely discussed meeting up sometime because I was so enamored of what this guy was doing. He, you know, if his influence is uh, in his writings, if he's quoting Bob Dylan and William Blake, his background music to his website, which is called, let me be clear, apocalypso.com with a K. We're going to say that several <laughs> times. 
www.apocalypso instead of a C, a K for that C.com. And um, the Incredible String Band. You remember the name of that band, Michael? Yes, I do. Yeah. He's got background music from them. And then uh, he calls himself a revolutionary dreamer. And then the first time I talked to him was with uh, one of those podcasts we did, Michael. And to hear that he had this voice from like a downstate lawyer, which just cracked me up. I don't know why, you know. And so his name is TJ Germanario. And I invited him on because I wanted to get uh, so many young women at the college where I work, so many uh, young people that my son knows, male and female, they are into astrology, reading into it quite deeply. And I wanted, you know, the most intelligent guy I knew almost to ask him, I'm an innocent, to say like, whoa, for somebody as brilliant as you, what does it mean? How did you get interested? How do you avoid the pitfalls and things like that? So that's kind of what we're about today. And so let me formally introduce uh, Thomas Jude Germanario. You give us your bio, Thomas, and uh, tell us about yourself. And again, go right into how you developed an interest in astrology. Okay. So I had my original undergraduate education in, uh, in physics, and I've never lost my interest in that. Uh, wasn't something that I found I could really make a living at. So I went uh, uh, on to get a uh, degree in mechanical engineering, worked as a, a person designing ships in the shipyard in Pennsylvania for a few years. And um, then I got involved with some of the company lawyers. We had some liability issues involving our oil tankers rupturing here and there. Uh, you know, got drawn into the, uh, the, the law and, you know, have gone on to get a legal education and spend most of my career practicing law. So this is what I do with, in terms of my website and um, my interest in mythology and astrology. And I, I generally consider main interest to be metaphysics. And this all ties together, at least in my mind, huh. as sort of an avocation and something I do uh, in, this, in the spare time I have, which is I get old a little bit more and I've, I think, increased my output. Uh, I've written Two books in the last three years, which is more than I was doing before that. So at any rate, how did I get interested in, in, in astrology? Uh, you know, I've always had the scientific outlook. So I'm not one who just is drawn to fantasies and supernatural and that kind of stuff. That's really not my not my uh, preference. Uh, but I was um, I picked up in a used bookstore the, uh, the prophecies of Nostradamus. That's great. Edgar Leone, this guy who studied, who went to Harvard and then he got drafted during the Second World War and he had, he was on a, a battleship in the Pacific, found that he didn't have a lot to do uh, on that battleship, lucky for him. And he started uh, translating and analyzing the, the uh, quatrains, as they're called, of, of, of Nostradamus, the centuries. There were a hundred of these uh, quatrains, which were four line poems, actually. And uh, I don't know. I just on a whim, I picked this up. It was a I guess fifty cents or something like that at a used bookstore. I said, and I started reading, and I and I said, well, you know, there's something here. I don't know how this guy does it, but there was things. A lot of it really fell flat. I mean, of a hundred quatrains he wrote, maybe a quarter of them actually have some connection with things that actually happened. But there are some of them that are so close. I mean, the actual year of the, 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 of the outbreak, the French Revolution, the, the, the clothing that Louis XVI was wearing when he was arrested trying to escape from, from France. Uh, 
uh, and then you can go. They're, they're, these are things with, which I, even as a scientist, uh, could not dismiss. And I saw that really to understand what this I was doing and how he arrived at these, uh, we call them predictions, prophecies, I, it's the word I prefer, um, was actually through astrology. Uh, he, he called it uh, jur jur juridical uh, astrology. And he actually, of course, was a court astrologer, you may or may not know, to King Henry II of, of France and Queen uh, Catherine, Catherine de' Medici. I know uh, that through your writing. Uh, it, right. And actually, uh, Nostradamus rose to prominence by uh, prophesizing the death of uh, King Henry II uh, in, a, in a, an adjusting uh, tournament. So um, I began studying astrology uh, from that standpoint. And to get to your question about, okay, well, the, you know, the, there's a, a great deal of interest, popular interest in astrology. So is that good or bad? Well, there, there are misconceptions about astrology as far as what I see it to be. And, and those are that it is some sort of destiny or fatalism that, okay, this is what's in your stars. So this is what's going to happen to you. And a lot of, a lot of um, you know, I, I'm not making any sexist remarks as that applies to both genres. All right. I, am I going to meet my, my ideal woman or my ideal man? Let me look at my, my horoscope today in the newspaper. So this is uh, nonsense. You know, there, there, there isn't, uh, it, it isn't that. It, and it really isn't somewhere you'd say, okay, the planet Mars is exerting an influence on me or the uh, the star Beetlejuice or something like that. No. Oh, you, you, there are the heavy bodies that actually exert an influence on us are the sun and the moon. And, and those are, 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 are physical influence. So, so now that I sort of trashed all the, the popular ideas about astrology, what, what, what is it really? So what it, what it really is, is a way of looking at events that is more than the way we do. I mean, we've, we've sort of have lost this sense of, you know, astrology comes to us from a time before history. Now, the constellations and what they are and what they represent what was before Egypt, before Mesopotamia. We don't know when it was. When, so it, come, it comes to us from a time which I relate to as the mythic age, where people had a view of reality that was more imaginary and in, in in the, in the good sense, in the sense that we, it, it, in imaginary is mean, it means making images of things, not just looking at things as, uh, as uh, two-dimensional, but looking at things in terms of making an image of them like a poet does. When, when a poet describes an event, it's, it's not in literal terms, it's in metaphors and, yeah. and, 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 and picture mind pictures really a mythic so, imagination right a yeah, mythic imagination right right so so the mythic imagination is what um and and myth making and and and, and imaging in terms of looking events that way what are what do they what do they tell us in terms of images of what happens but also images of what is behind what happens and, and part of what is behind what happens if you know something about physics is what doesn't happen. This is all part of, part of it. And it's the term that uh, I pick, picked up from Young and I use quite a bit, noumena. It's sort of what gives the effect to reality. So, um, you know, for example, I see people walking around, uh, especially you see it if you go on vacation, and they, they're constantly, they got their camera or their phone. Now it's the phone, you know. Oh, take a picture of this, take a picture of this. Well, you know... <laughs> 
I mean, I do that once in a while myself, but I mean, you're, you're not perhaps reality at all, because what, what is, what do you see when you look at a, at a picture? You don't see the, you don't get the feeling of, of what happened. You don't get the, the background of what happened and all that goes into what happened. So astrology is, in my mind, is taking events and giving them that depth of, of reality that they don't have typically for us in our, our scientific, overly materialistic world. Uh, and so, for example, if, uh, yesterday was significant day. It was the, it was the, the, uh, the, uh, sol- the uh, summer solstice. And what was it? It was June 21st, 2022. What, is t- what does June 21st, 2022 tell you? It doesn't tell you anything. This is arbitrary and ad hoc. Uh, what, what does uh, 1215 in the afternoon tell you? Tell- nothing. I mean, it's, it's, it's just an arbitrary thing based on, on an arbitrary designation. And it's one dimensional, it's linear. So we have this co- construct of time and events that just strings them along like pearls on a string. And that basically takes all the life out of them, takes all the content out of them, takes all the, the mythic potential out of them. And I think that is what astrology properly done helps to uh, restore. So at, at, at this point, I, I did figure, and I'm, I'm going to try and do this in a way that I'm, I'm not going to lose your audience that doesn't see the, vi- the video part of this. But what I dis- decided to do was say, okay, look, let me do a chart for the summer solstice. So, you know, the summer solstice is not just a day. You probably know this. It, there is an actual exact time that the sun enters the sign, the zodiac sign of cancer, when it crosses the line you know, over into zero degrees uh, cancer. So that defines, even for astronomical and scientific purposes, that defines what uh, the solstice, the summer solstice is. Uh, and before I launch uh, I, with the picture of it, uh, I uh, probably one of the most memorable uh, experiences of my life was going to Stonehenge on the summer solstice. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went, it was me and my wife, we went with our, our two children who were eight and 10 at the time, they're quite young. And uh, we booked an Airbnb, not Airbnb, there was an Airbnb back then. It was bed and breakfast back then, bed and breakfast in Salisbury, uh, as close as we could get to, to, to Stonehenge. And uh, we went there and it turns out, we didn't find that this out until the next day when we went to check out, that we, we booked ourselves in the wrong, we went to the wrong uh, uh, Airbnb, uh, bed and breakfast rather. Um, so the one we booked, we didn't, we, we didn't go there. We went to this one. I have, I have no idea how we made that mistake, but we did. <laughs> so, so we, it, our plan was to get, get some sleep and then get up at 2 AM because we knew that there was this, only this one road that led into, into Stonehenge. And you, I don't know if either of you have ever, ever been there, but I've never been uh, there. This, this one road was notorious for just getting backed up. And if you didn't leave early enough, you would never get to Stonehenge. And you sit in your car and be disappointed about having made this whole trip for nothing. So we parked our car. There was the, the, the uh, owner of the bed and breakfast had this garage. We parked our car there. We were about to go in for an early nap. And the, the owner of the house came down and said, oh, I have a guest that needs to, you to move your car so that they can get into the garage, too. I said, oh, OK. We went down and the, uh, we met this gentleman and his uh, wife. And uh, we told him what we planned to do. And he said, you'll never get there. 
uh, you'll never, you'll, you won't even get close that way. I mm. said, oh, he said, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, uh, I'm a former uh, British military officer and I have access to this uh, military base, which abuts Stonehenge. And I'm going to go and park there and then walk across this farmer's field in, 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 uh, into, into Stonehenge. I said, oh. And then he said, very nice to him. And so I said, well, he said, that, you know, we have room in our car. Why don't you and your um, wife and children join us and uh, we'll all do this together. And it turns out, uh, I, I later found out that they, these uh, people were Wiccans. Really? Yeah. Wiccans. And uh, they came dressed in full Wiccan regalia to this uh, to this event. As a matter of fact, the, the, the wife kind of scared my children, <laughs> my, 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 my children, because she looked like a witch, sort of. Yeah. Uh, and we did this. We walked across the field. We had to be careful. We didn't trip over the cows that were sleeping. And, and we got to Stonehenge and there was a type of ritual and ceremony going on that I, I've never seen before or since. They had these huge wicker figures that they were actually burning wow. in, in, the, in, in the field, uh, uh, the field around, uh, around Stonehenge. And uh, my daughter, after being frightened by the witch, was even more frightened by, <laughs> I bet. by, these, <laughs> by these figures. And she actually broke out bawling and crying and we had to sort of calm her down. Michael, you had been to Stonehenge yourself? But, uh, the, 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 what? Oh, I was what? wondering if Michael had been to Stonehenge too. I think you were. I was there in 1989, but not at the solstice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, 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 the experience of seeing the, the sun rise directly straight up over this stone, which they call the heel stone. And, and Michael knows the stone I'm talking about. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was something that just always be in my, in my mind. And when I set about to do this chart, it was, in my mind that, okay, you know, this, I had, I already have an image. So now I'm going to see how the image that the chart gives me lines up with the image that I have in my mind. So uh, let let me. And again, for those listening on uh, just the audio, we'll give kind of good verbal descriptions of what. Okay. Can you see it? No, go up. There it is. Back a little bit. There you go. Perfect. No, move it back, back a little bit. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So, the thing that really took me by surprise here was, uh, I don't know if you have any uh, acquaintance with these symbols. This right here with the dot in the middle of it is the sun. Right. Okay. And then we have Mercury. This, this symbol is kind the location of, of the last uh, total lunar eclipse last month. Then this is Uranus. This is a star called Markar. It's, it's the alpha star of, of uh, the constellation Cetus, which is a whale. Then we have Mars at the Jupiter, the moon, the, the pitchfork there is Neptune. And then going around to the other side is uh, Saturn and that one is Pluto. All right. So the really interesting part of this to me was that the sun is on right on right on on, on the. I did this for New York because to tell you the truth, I was lazy and I already had, <laughs> I already had New York in my the computer program that does this for me. I said, oh, I'm not going to change the latitude and longitude. What does it matter? I'm just doing this for an example. So let me just leave New York's coordinates in there. When it came out, like my jaw dropped, I said, well, because this, as I t- told you earlier, the, the solstice uh, occurs at a definite time of day. And that time of day is different depending on what your longitude is. So 
it's not going to be right at dawn anywhere except the exact longitude, one exact longitude in the world. And it's not going to be exactly where the sun enters cancer, except at one exact latitude mm -hmm. in the world. So this is an event that's actually quite remarkable, that this, this solstice, the beginning of the solstice in New York, exactly at, at, at dawn. So mm -hmm. uh, I said, well, okay, that sort of does fit in my, in, in, in the image of my, that the dawn with the, with the sun rising over, uh, over uh, the, the heel stone, it sort of fit into the, the that image that, that in terms of what, what was the nature of this point in time, this event, and what does it mean? What, what, what does that image that we get from it, what does it tell us? And there isn't, again, what, one of the secrets that I found, from, I learned from Nostradamus, is that there isn't just one image that fits. There are many images that fit. And the question is, how do those things play together? How do they fit together? How do they, how do they play together? Are there some of them that are up front in reality and, and others in the background? Or, the, or how do those work together? So in this chart, uh, the interesting part about where the sun was in relation, was in relation to uh, Saturn. And you may remember from my last book, uh, The Great Tradition, I my first chapter was really devoted in great part to Saturn. And what roles does Saturn mythologically play in the age we're in now? Yeah. In terms of Saturnalia, in terms of the great conjunction uh, of uh, 2020, uh, this, the winter that on winter solstice. Mm -hmm. uh, all, all of that is in play in, the, in this chart because there is, a relationship called the trine, where the, the sun and Saturn are almost exactly 120 degrees apart. and Which is a favorable aspect. Which, right? which is favorable, yeah. right? Which, which means that those things are working not against each other, but with each other and, 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 and reinforcing each other. So from, from, from that sense, sun in, in, in the, at the solstice is, is a pivot point yeah, that, because this is when the sun stops going further north, making the days longer in the atmosphere, and stops. So solstice means the sun stops. Mm. Uh, and it stops for a few days and then turns around and goes back toward the south, making the days in the north, northern hemisphere uh, shorter. So this is, gives you the idea of, okay, this is a turning point of sorts. And the turning point has a favorable influence from Saturn, which is the golden age. It was the golden age before the age of, uh, what do the Indians call it? The Kali Yuga? Yeah, yeah. The, Kali Yuga, the, yeah. The, the, the age of darkness, the age yeah. of warfare, the, the, the age of using metals to kill one another. Right. Uh, and they, the, the cycle of cancer, cancer is the moon, and, and the moon goes through cycles and returns. And there's, and there's a sense of return. And mythologically, as I went into in my last book, that, that returning of the golden age is something that runs right through mythology and runs through uh, Virgil and uh, Homer and all, all, the, all the great uh, poets. So now let me interrupt too to say, like, yeah. for you, the great translation from last year, can you kind of describe that for people? It was Jupiter and Saturn. In Jupiter and Saturn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that in December. And you're saying, if I heard you correctly, that this um, the solstice today, you know, being in a favorable aspect with Saturn, 
that could be, you know, a signal along those lines or say that uh, once again uh, for me. Right. So it's, uh, and you have to bring it back again to what I said earlier, that this is something that is also very particularly aimed at the city of New York. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and the, the city of New York uh, is, um, as far as culture, as far as finance, is basically America. I mean, the capital of America is Washington, and you have yeah. the the the, uh, the 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 various non-entity bureaucrats who fill up that that city. But <laughs> I mean, when, 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 when you want to look at okay, what what is the heart of America in terms of what, how does America see itself? Then you have to really look Los Angeles, of course, more jaded and decadent sense, but New York, and there you go from that to the, the, in this chart, the mirror, okay? So the mirror, am I at the right level? The mirror yeah, being- a little bit higher, just a wee bit yeah, higher. Yeah, yeah. That, that's Venus. And Venus is, has an aspect, also has an aspect to, uh, to Saturn. And that aspect is a square. And that's a, a, a bad aspect. That's the worst aspect you could have. So the influence of Venus is moving in, a, in another direction and not a good direction. Uh, and the, in terms of if you want the golden age back, if you don't want it back, if you'd rather live in the Kali Yuga, then it's good. But if, you, if, you'd, like to, if you'd like to think about a golden age returning, then that's, this, is not, this is bad news. Um, and the other aspect that Venus makes, and I'll hold it up again, Oops, sorry, is, okay. is it, is a trying to, it's again a trying aspect like the, the one that the sun made to. Uh, so there's this parallelism here. It's making a trying across the chart to Pluto. And Pluto is in the, the in addition to signs on a, a, a chart, an astrological chart, there, there are 12 signs, obviously 12 signs of the zodiac. There are 12 houses on the chart. Uh, I, and I won't get into what each house means, but the, the one, one that Pluto was in on this chart is the eighth house, which is the house of death. So Pluto, the god of the underworld, the, uh, death, that's right there. It's not so good. But what that, what the trying aspect between Venus and Pluto actually portends is uh, an occult uh, phenomenon, yeah. a, 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 a rise in occultism, maybe is, is a good, good way to put it. And uh, the other interesting thing, too, is that this, Pluto has just entered Capricorn. And Pluto spends a long time in each sign because it's way out there, of course. They don't even consider it a, 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 a astrolo astronomical planet anymore. But uh -huh. I, I, I'm a traditionalist. I, I still view it as a planet for astrological purposes. The last time that Pluto was in Capricorn was 1777. Right. The uh, the American Revolution uh, and the uh, standard interpretation of when it would. So that was the beginning of our national government. And the, the interpretations that I've read of what does it mean when Pluto comes into the uh, into Capricorn again is a, a world government. Mm -hmm. All right. So there gives you some how you begin to empire. see how these it means empire. Are. Right. Yeah, empire, yeah. Or, or even more Capricorn, sinister, even more sinister than that. Yeah, yeah. Even Capricorn more is that. authority, yeah. right? Capricorn's right. authority, right. Pluto's wealth, right? But even more so. I mean, again, you could just read it as okay, this is empire. Uh, Venus, where it's sitting in in, in the in this chart, 
uh, has a, a meaning of Venus can be very good, uh, you know, love, beauty, art. Um, but in this chart, it's narcissism and hedonism, basically. And in, in, in its relationship to Pluto, even a sort of uh, decadent and depraved sexuality uh, comes into play. So you could take all those pictures and superimpose them on what we yeah. know about the city of New York and see some of the good and, and the bad. And uh, New York, I mean, if we're talking about a super government, the United Nations, which is sort of the predecessor of that, if it ever does evolve, is, is there in, in New York. So we're seeing now how these various pictures rise. We could go through all the, all the rest of the... All the rest of the planets. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, all the rest of this, the various aspects of, of the planets and the stars. Uh, the reason, uh, another feature of, of the way Nostradamus did astrology that I picked up from him and have used is that in modern popular astrology, the stars are virtually ignored. So, you, I mean, even like this is, this, this is a popular software that I use. It doesn't show where any of the stars are. I have to write those in myself, but they often have a, a greater significance than, than the planets. So planets move around quite a bit. And they, when you talk about Mars being in uh, Virgo or something like that, well, that happens every t couple of years. I mean, so it's not, you, this is not, these are not singular events, but things that happen with the stars, which are really not moving ex except to the extent of the precession that the Earth's wobble introduces, they, they can be for large cycle events. Yeah. Then this is why, you know, Nostradamus referred this to this as juridical uh, uh, astrology, because he was looking at the events that would affect kings and queens and large cycles of history, not the tiny cycles that might affect who you're going to meet tomorrow in the right. park or something like that. Uh, so the, the um, star that I picked out as having influenced and being important in this chart was the alpha star that is the brightest star of of, uh, of Cetus, which is the whale. And to me, the whale conjures a lot of things, and, and we can create a lot of images around that, which tie in in some ways, I believe, to what we're seeing in this chart. Is that uh, you know Moby Dick, uh, Jonah, and the whale, the, the Leviathan in, in in the Bible, in the Zohar in particular, the Kabbalah, it, it's a it's sort of a symbol of what they call the other side. So, so there is the, the, the reality of, 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 of light and there is the reality of darkness and they play with each other. And uh, uh, the Leviathan symbol is something that Jung, for example, saw as the collective unconscious, uh, something that we have sort of, as modern people, buried. And, and again, it goes back to, okay, where does astrology come from? It, it comes from before we had this type of consciousness that we have now, where a, a much more of a poetic mythic uh, consciousness than we have we have now yeah. so there is that well that uh, the i would say the the the, the 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 modern the modern day ahabs who now run the world are, mm -hmm. are, are desperately hey, trying to, uh, trying to speaking of that them. can i ask you a question tom sure now back uh, i think it was christmas eve there was the conjunction or was it a square conjunction square of Uranus and Saturn. Yeah. And which, um, and then it's going to, it's going to happen again in October, I think. And a lot of astrologers and I, myself among them, were predicting that that, you know, Uranus versus Saturn. So 
who's going to win in that the battle of the titans right so saturn what you're talking about saturn is also like the establishment right but yeah yeah saturn as i, I explained in my last book has this dichotomy to it which all very uh mythic things do have in one sense saturn ruled over the earth or ruled over a society where there where there was no war Mm-hmm. where people didn't have to lock their doors uh, on and on and on. Uh, and on the other side, uh, this old father time, uh, melancholy right. uh, and uh, 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 depressive uh, uh, character. Right. Uh, and, and both of these fit together in the same mythic persona. Uh, so you can say, well, okay, Uranus, which really didn't have any classical uh I mean, it was the god who came before um, Saturn. Uh, Saturn. Mm-hmm. And Saturn uh, castrated them, right? Uh, and, Sorry, folks, uh, that's what happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and and unfortunately for Saturn, he 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 escaped that fate. Um, uh, Jupiter only under uh, a mountain and consigned him to Tartarus, the underworld. So he got away relatively easy. But there, what? what what it's what the modern interpretation of Uranus has been is that they, they took uh, Aquarius away from Saturn. Saturn once ruled both uh, yeah. Capricorn and uh, Aquarius, and that that was part of the dichotomy because Aquarius always had this sort of good revolutionary, feeling, uh, right. you know, uh, everyone lives together and uh, yeah, technology. You know the the, uh, uh, the old song from the sixties: uh, harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding. The age of Aquarius. So that. That they took away from old uh, Saturn and gave it to this newly discovered planet. So now, you know, the interpretation would be, okay, this this is a struggle now between the old ways and the new ways. And the, the, when, when the great conjunctions, the mutation, as they called it, from the December, the uh, winter solstice of 2020, that was the first in the next series of great conjunctions that went into the air signs. And it was in Aquarius. So a lot of the popular uh, astrology interpreters say, oh, okay, this signals the the beginning of the age of Aquarius. And then it got picked up in that square interpretation. Interesting. Okay, you know, that the old old guy's father time still trying to hold back the age of Aquarius. I think the last time that this square happened was in 1989 when the the wall fell, right? And remember, everybody was all excited about the new world we're going into, it, which apparently was a new world, <laughs> was making it the world free for McDonald's and Disney. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the the fact that you have have contradiction is uh, uh, without, without contradiction there isn't any life. So the contradiction is part and parcel of uh, of uh, of astrology and it's part and parcel of mythology too. That the, these are the things that really drive the whole process forward, the fact that there are these conflicts and part of what you look for in charts too, because where is the energy coming from? The energy doesn't, the, the energy flows through the trines, but it gets generated through the square and the oppositions. Yeah. Those are energy generating engines. And it's a question of, of, of where that, where that energy goes. So anyway, going back to this, this example that I've given, uh, I, uh, after I did this chart, I, uh, over the weekend, my wife and I went and my son invited us over to Brooklyn, where he now lives. And uh, and uh, we 
took a tour of the Brooklyn side of the New York uh, waterfront, which I'd never done before. And uh, what struck me was the Statue of Liberty. I don't know if either of you have ever been to the Brooklyn waterfront, but, you know, I've always seen the, the Statue of Liberty holding the torch up and looking out. And, you know, my, my father was uh, an immigrant. He came here when he was eight years old. And, you know, this is, uh, this is New York and this is America. Um, and on the, 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 the good part of America, perhaps. And, uh, but from the, from, the, from the Brooklyn waterfront, where now all the, I, I, I think the, the generation of New York is, is in Brooklyn now, you, you only you see the back of uh, uh, the, the, the Lady Liberty. And she's facing, uh, she's facing away as if she turned her back. Uh, and that image came out to me when I was doing this chart for, for whatever reason, uh, that, that, that this is part of, of the imagery of what comes across when you, when you do the, when you look into what, what, what is the fabric of reality that's being, uh, that's being portrayed here. Uh, a turning is part of what's in the, the, the solstice. And which way is that turning going to be? Uh, and it's still uh, perhaps up in the air. The other thing that came across to me, and, and, and this is perhaps a, a little more difficult to, to explain, but it was a particular uh, set of uh, quatrains in, in the centuries of, of Nostradamus, in which he talks about a, a figure emerging in America who very clearly resembles Oliver Cromwell, uh, and that this figure is in, in a, is, is aligned with he doesn't use the term antichrist very often, but he uses it explicitly in these quatrains that he's aligned with a, 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 a antichrist. So false is the actual uh, mm. uh, ver verbiage that he uses. Now I thought to myself, well, what was Oliver Cromwell? Oliver Cromwell was the English civil war. So if there was an, uh, an, an analogy of that figure in America, it would be somebody who was involved with a civil war type of scenario. And they they mention also he mentions in that same quatrain that this Oliver Cromwell figure is pitted against a Scottish rebel king. So here we get a little more detail into history that uh, during the the uh, the later later part of the English Civil War, uh, the Scotch the Scots uh, declared. Charles II, the son of Charles I, who had been guillotined or executed, I guess. I, they didn't use the guillotine. I think they just used an X. <laughs> the British, they weren't as sophisticated <laughs> killing people as the French were. Uh, that they declared that their, their recognition of um, Charles II, this, uh, which is referred to in this, uh, in this uh, quatrain as the, the, the rebel king, which that... Um, Bonnie Prince, Bonnie Prince Charlie, Charlie, Charlie they, they called him. And then there, there was this whole invasion of Scotland by, uh, uh, by Cromwell. And he was very efficient. And I think he killed 40,000 Scotsmen in one wow. or something like that. Uh, so at any rate, I took away from that. It also in a, in, in a related quatrain, it mentions Saturn in Capricorn. So Saturn is now actually in the constellation Capricorn. Quite often, Nostradamus referred to locations not by the the tropical zodiac signs which have been you know they don't they're not, they're not where the planets and things actually are because that was back a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago when the, the zodiac was uh, formalized but in the actual constellation capricorn saturn is there and mentions the uh, venus and taurus which is where it is now too and is in his chart that i that i drew up 
So uh, another not so nice image that you can draw out of this is uh, a civil war in which New York plays some sort of role uh, or has some sort of singular so role, let's, whether that be because- Yeah, they, let's sit with that for a second too, because uh, you know we've gone, we've taken a journey to like the really far out, but you could turn on, it seems to me, you could turn on any cable news station right now or open up any paper. And there's people conjecturing, you know, when, when they're talking about how could this political divide get any, any worse in the country, you know, and I just want to, that, you know, I've, well, you Google <clears throat> Twitter civil war and people are saying this all the time. So I'm not trying to say you just predicted it, but it's all of a sudden you went way out, TJ, you know, and then it comes back. And this is in discourse right now. It is. Michael? No, it's just that, that, uh, that Uranus Saturn square that happens in October is right before the election, <laughs> you know, could get ugly. Um, well, you could, you could possibly speculate again, there, there isn't, I, I go back to what I said earlier, that there isn't one particular reality here. There are layers and layers and layers of it. And, and which of those layers right. stands out in, in the front of the stage and once they backstage is still a, a matter of human action and, and, and free will. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cer- but certainly this is a scenario that w- one would have to take seriously. And you could think about the fact that uh, a Cromwell is not all that different than a Trump. I mean, in terms of someone who has the capacity to say, okay, the parliament now is dismissed and I'm the, the Lord mm-hmm. High Protector. It's uh, <laughs> all very heavy. Yeah. I mean, and and, 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 and with, with, with that person, whether it be Trump or anyone else, would, would, would that person be accepted in the, the city of, uh, of New York? Uh, or would they, or would he arise out of it? You know, or, you know, we have we have this society where we we sort of have one set of culture and one image of ourselves on the two coasts, and a, an entirely different image of ourselves. That again, that that bad factor mm-hmm. of the mirror of, of Venus in, in this whole thing. How do we see ourselves? To be a real country, you sort of have, have to have a unity of how, how you see yourself. You know, and we of liberty. Uh, liberty was a, a, a goddess among the Romans, and that goddess really came into prominence, interestingly enough, in well, the era just before the, the, the Republic collapsed. Right. E pluribus unum, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it, was, it was just before Julius Caesar and the, and the civil wars that led to the collapse of the, of the, of the uh, Republic and the, and the beginning of, the, of, of an empire. So all that is sort of the way I think that astrology should work and how it is to distinguish from the sort of the, the, the popular notion that it yeah. t- t- tells you where you should take your next vacation or something. <laughs> okay. Here's a crazy idea. So, yeah, I mean, we, I'm, we all know the, the famous maxim, the stars inclined, they, they do not compel. Right. And cause you just mentioned free will and that that's something you see. I was looking through a bunch of my, writings on astrology today i looked at uh what did i look at i looked at uh oh thomas aquinas on astrology and and plotinus on astrology and they both say the same thing that yes you can predict things with this but you it's not fate so there's a kind of an interesting uh juxtaposition or dancing act between free will and determinism right because some things are determined i think you know we we all are uh somehow uh 
victims of our heredity, right? But we're not completely defined by it, you know, but we do have hereditary traits we pick up from our parents that might incline us to heart disease or cancer or something, right? So, but it's not determined, but, but there is, uh, there is an inclination there. But what I was thinking, Tom, is that, uh, so looking at these big pictures and these big movements of the outer planets, that, that it's kind I wouldn't say easy, but maybe it is easy. It's easy to see that something's going to happen on the world stage in that way, right? You can see something's going to happen. So I knew, for instance, when that, the last that the Saturn Uranus thing happened on Christmas Eve, I knew that was going to break up to, and it certainly did it, to some degree, the COVID narrative that started to fall to pieces right there. And then, but then, then the powers that be moved quickly into Russia mode, right? <laughs> they went to Russia, Ukraine mode. Let's okay. New subject. <laughs> um, but my question is, uh, cause I'm sure that a lot of, people in those positions of power know how this stuff works too. And that there might be a way that, that, and this is, a, maybe, might be crazy. Let me know that they try to uh, finesse this to uh, control the masses or influence, manipulate the masses because assuming that they will, the, the masses will not be acting out of what Plotinus would call the higher self or what, you know, uh, what Rudolf Steiner would call the ego and not being trapped by the astral body and the etheric defined by that, like animals are right. Cause animals, they don't, when it's time to mate, they mate. They don't think, well, wait, I'll wait till I finish school and find the right person. <laughs> That's not how it works with animals. but it is how humans work. We can, we have a, a little bit more control over our relationship to the stars than, and to nature than other other beings we share this planet with do so so what so what do you think about that tom do you think that there is something to this idea that um that in these kinds of major movements of uh metaphysical principles that they're manipulated by people in the know be uh, uh, assured who are assured that the mass population will not be able to think their way through it yeah so that's that's a very interesting question, and, and uh, what, before I, I mention the fact that Tridamas came into prominence predicting the, uh, the death in the joust of uh, Henry II in the year fifteen fifty nine, I believe it was, and there was much speculation at the time when it still hasn't died down that he was doing the bidding of Catherine de Medici, who wanted to get her husband <laughs> and put her son on the throne and load him. Huh? Uh-huh. So here's an instance where and perhaps that did happen. Uh, it certainly, the, the king had already engaged in three jousts that day, and everyone prevailed upon him. He was an o- older man. Oh, come on, you've had enough. Well, just, but he knew that this out there, and he was defying it. And sometimes uh, that, I think, is the fact that somebody will make, will use it and make a prediction, will actually enhance the probability that that prediction will come true. And there's some something to be said from that in in, Tradamus when he, in the introduction to his book, which is a, a, he, he is actually a, an explanation to his son, Cesar, of how he does his work. And uh, he talks about seeing branches coming out of these astrological charts that he writes, branches. In other words, not just one mm-hmm. thing, 
this is what's going to happen, but this could happen and this could happen. And right. they sort of go out off into different directions and picking out one of them. And that is prophecy with the idea that that will actually increase the likelihood, it won't make it a certainty by any means, but increase the, 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 that that will happen. So can, can that be used for nefarious purposes? Yes, it can. And I, I think before you came on, Mart, uh, uh, Michael, Michael Martin, Michael Souter was asking me about what I was interested in now. And it, it, it's this idea in, in physics, the multiple outcomes, yeah. and they, they, they are the ones that we observe are not necessarily the, the, the exclusive of the ones that we don't observe. Matter of fact, right. maybe quite the contrary. One of the things, interesting things that uh, Hugh Everett shows in his, his, his doctoral thesis is because the question comes up, okay, uh, this effect of Schrodinger's cat, right? So the cat is dead and the cat is alive at the same time until the human being opens the box and sees the cat in one condition or another. But you ever said, well, okay, the, the person who opens the box actually sees the cat dead and, and the cat alive. They, they only record of those in, in, in their consciousness and the rest of it is, mm-hmm. back, is back there somehow, somehow. So the question came up, well, then how come was the fact that one person says or thinks consciously that it's dead increases the likelihood that they will actually see that, that same thing. The same branch of reality potential that comes out of that whole quantum mix of possible outcomes. So you have put your finger on, a, on an interesting point. It, 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 could, could there be such a sophisticated type of totalitarianism that manipulate, use that principle to manipulate? And I assume that that could happen. I hope it doesn't, but it could. Well, tell me, tell me too, TJ, the, um, again, so you, you speak with such a, you know, a wealth of information. How would you recommend to somebody who's hearing that and wants to wade into these waters? So like you were hungry, you had read Nostradamus, then you just started reading into that. H- have you found that there's, uh, you had mentioned there's some software you use. But if you were young and wanted to learn kind of sane stuff, what would you recommend? Right. So my my recommendation is start out learning the astronomy because that's what I did. And I I now use software really more out of laziness than anything else. Uh But I when I started doing it, I would actually do the calculations myself and, and, and draw the charts from from my own calculations. And that, I think. Is something I would recommend. I mean, a lot of people do because it's such a lure to be able to just plug the data into the software sure. and it spits it out. But it enables you to see the picture of, of what's going on. Uh, the the houses, for example, I, I mentioned that the, the charts have, have houses and they have zodiac signs. Well, the houses are in relation to what they call the celestial equator, which is the equator of the earth. And the fact that the Earth is turning around that equator, and that's part of the the, the movement of, of all these various movements that are, are, you're trying to fit together when you do astrology. The, the the zodiac signs, on the other hand, deal with the Earth's movement around the Sun, the the ecliptic. Mm-hmm. And then there are things like precession that deal with the Earth's uh, axial tilt and its wobble. It is good. Matter of fact, it's not good. It's it's imperative if you're if you're going to do this the right way and not do it in a pseudoscience superstitious way. 
is to understand how all these things work from the standpoint of scientific uh, astronomy, and then go from the go from the science to the poetry, not the other way around. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. From the science to the poetry, because there's there's another sense too. Michael and I were talking this morning, TJ. And you're pretty familiar with this brain hemispheric stuff, right? You know, the left brain and the right brain. Yes. Um, But I'd like to think, you know, there's this Rene Guénon, who our friend Guido was kind of like sending up last week. But he would say that, what are we looking at there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Julian James. Right. Yep. Early on. Now there's the name uh, Ian McGilchrist and others. Julian James. Was there somebody else who writes about this now? Yeah. Right now, the the book, it's it's a bestseller and has been for about five years. Not like a New York Times bestseller. You can write down the title, The Master and His Emissary, Ian McGilchrist, psychiatrist out of Cambridge. But uh, it's funny that you say start with the science and go to the poetry, because I could make a case, not in this specific field, but that the right brain, the more poetic, you know, sends out, which is the astrology, sends out the astronomy, the scientific part of the brain to do some work, the emissary, and then it reports back to the master. And so what you said, I've got to sit with that a while, you know, that this Ian McGilchrist will say when the left brain, when the science part goes out and becomes dominant and isn't subservient to the right brain, he's saying it's apocalyptic, you know, but I think, you know, I also hear you saying, you know, um, be grounded as you approach this stuff. Right. Yeah, well, you know, the, the the way I'm the way I'm advocating is actually opposite to the way it happened in history because it happened in history that the poetry of astrology and and its associated myths generated astronomy. Yeah, right. Just right. Uh, just as the 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 poetry and mythology of um, of alchemy uh, gave birth to uh, to, to, to scientific chemistry. And and I, I guess what I'm saying is okay, yeah, that happened, uh, but to get back to the poetry, we have to start from where we are now, and where we are now is in is in a scientific world, and uh, fair enough. It's sort of reversing the reversing the historical process to get back to the golden age. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. I like that. So, how about this? You're going to come back again, TJ. You know, because uh, sometime we might even talk to you about like it. And I've got another friend who's a priest, but you know the. Uh, the poetry and Michael would be with it. You know, what can we take from Bob Dylan's music? I'd like to have you back again sometime to talk about William Blake. But I also want to oh, apologize sure. yes, to some of our please. listeners if they saw any of these small technical glitches. I'm going to look at this when we're done. My deepest apologies. I've got a few technical issues today, but um, so I wouldn't want to prolong this too long. Yeah. Really. yeah. Well, okay. You know, everything is a work in progress, and we're 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 all striving toward perfection and never getting there. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. But I can't thank you enough for joining us. So you will join us again. I I surely will. Yes. Absolutely. Wonderful. I've enjoyed this a great deal, gentlemen. Yeah. So I I learned so much. So I uh, thank you, TJ. Thanks everybody for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. Again, TJ's website is www.apocalypto dot com apocalypso apocalypto was a movie so it's a-p-o-k-l-y-p-s-o is that right tj that, that's right and maybe in a future installment i'll explain why i, I spelled it. okay i like that now okay so thanks everybody for listening to the regeneration podcast we'll see you again next week thanks. Uh-huh.